This is Beth Bruno, and you're listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. On this podcast, I amplify the feminine voice and curate feminine glory so that you, my listener, find your own fierce and lovely story. It has become somewhat of a sacred journey for me to uncover the stories of women from around the world throughout time and present day. The more fierce and lovely women I explore, the more I fall in love with the one in whose image we reflect. My hope is that in this space, you embrace your own beautifully ordinary life as the majority story most of us are living. Welcome to episode 42 and a relatively new season on the podcast. I want to start by explaining what I mean by majority story most of us live. We live in a cult of personality culture. Influencers and YouTubers are actual job titles, and Christian celebrities are a thing, and I think it can be easy to compare ourselves to those we see on our feed and making headlines, but the majority of us are living beautifully ordinary lives around the world. We may never have books and movies tell our story. We may never take up space in a museum, but we have intrinsic value and worth, and I believe we do make up the majority story unfolding around the world. My guest today challenges us to see one another better, to be available to notice those in our path and have a posture toward the stranger that is sometimes called hospitality. Leslie Verner is a local author friend, raising three kids, hosting international students as roommates, and married to a vocal actor. She writes about faith, justice, family, and cross-cultural issues, and just released her first book, Invited, The Power of Hospitality in an Age of Loneliness. At the intersection of fierce and lovely, Leslie shows us how to truly love our neighbor. Hello, Leslie. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Beth. Thanks for having me. No, it's super fun to have you. You're like a in real life friend. You're actually just down the road from me, but here we are on the <laughs> recording. Yes, well, in your Obviously. fancy closet, right? Uh, yes, your your lovely voice actor husband, um, and his in home studio. So, Leslie, welcome to the podcast. I, I'm excited to talk with you today and. I want to flip things around um, from how I've been talking with some of my guests. I typically hear so much about their story and what brings them onto the show. And then I'm, you know, I'm asking about where's your fierce and lovely in all of that. And I realized recently that I want to flip that around because that's, that's the beginning point of why I'm even curious to learn more about this particular guest about you, because the life you're living now, the path that you're walking mm-hmm. has come out of you embracing, whether you've named it or not, embracing this intersection of fierce and lovely. That's I, I see that in my guests. That's why I invite them onto this podcast. And so whether you've articulated that, named it as those words, that's kind of how I've seen 
your story play out. And so I want to start asking my guests at the beginning what what they think about that, how they see their lives having embraced this fierce and lovely and now shaping kind of where they find themselves these days and what we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute. So can we start there, Leslie? Sure. I feel like part of my story is um, that I've just had to learn how to navigate a lot of the pivots and the U-turns even that I maybe hadn't anticipated in my story um, because life changes and you can't always control what happens to you or which direction you go. And um, yeah, so a, a lot of my story is that, you know, I I really thought I was going to be living overseas my whole life and I had made a lot of choices for that to happen. And then kind of before I realized it, I had fallen in love and I ended up back in the United States and um, being a mom and um, starting to write and things like that. So yeah, so I feel like maybe the intersection is, for me, is trying to just navigate those unexpected twists and turns um, in the road and uh, trying to do it well, but also trying to notice people and notice God mm-hmm. along the way. Well, in a nutshell, you you know, you think you're going to live this forever life in missions overseas and find yourself back in Chicago with a husband and very quickly three little children, right? That came fast. And so in that, I, I just, I see such a, a choice for you in terms of even beginning to pursue writing in the midst of having young, young children. And I think if I remember correctly, in the beginning, it was a way to just process that transition, that U-turn you just mentioned, navigating that well. And then choosing to stay when your heart is still somewhat longing to go, still thinking, but wait, I wanted to be over there. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be halfway across the world and not in suburbia. Um, And so in the midst of that as well, I just see these two major things in your life, the, the discipline and the process of embracing staying put and then the discipline and the process of pursuing a passion of yours writing in the midst of the reality of your life three young kids and how through those finding this this fierce and this lovely and your voice in that what was that like for you tell us a little bit more about kind of both of those big things because I think a lot of women would resonate with that so I started writing um well okay most writers will kind of have the same story of I was always a writer I you know I journaled I you know and I'm a reader so I you know not that make being a good reader makes you a good writer but it does help um to feed your vocabulary and your ideas and things like that so um I kind of always knew it was inevitable that I would start writing in fact when I lived in China I thought I should be writing there's so many wonderful stories Um, I mean, I did write newsletters and I tried to make them come alive so that they wouldn't be like your typical boring, you know, missionary newsletters that I had gotten so often. Um, But I I had this kind of conscious choice at the time that I was like, you know what, I'd rather live life than write about life. And of course, I spent hours and hours binge watching TV. So, I mean, I had the time that I could have been writing, um, but I, you know, I just, I it wasn't the time. And I knew that. And so um, when I became a mom, I 
I often find that motherhood is a like a trigger for creativity. Um, a lot of women I've noticed they kind of always have this secret passion for painting or doing starting a business or creating you know art or jewelry or writing or poetry. Um, and a lot of times, motherhood somehow, even though we have like we're more tired and we have. Um, it's not like there's nothing going on, but I, it somehow kind of allows our creativity to come out or maybe we need it. I don't know. But, um, but I was the same way. So once I, um, became a mom, I kind of started needing that creative outlet. Um, I was a teacher before. And so I think I just didn't really have the energy for it, um, or mental capacity for it. Um, and then I just, I just kind of needed to write and it became more of a compulsion than, you know, it's like I couldn't not do it. And I needed that way of working out what was going on in my story. So, yeah. So now writing, I feel like is kind of growing up beside this other role that I have as a wife and a mom. Um, Yeah. This is a little bit cheesy, but I think in metaphors, of course, because I'm a writer, but um, I have this, these raised beds that my dad and I made this past summer. And um, in it, some sunflowers started growing and which is hilarious because on the side of our house, I planted sunflowers and none of them are growing, but in this bed with vegetables, um, these sunflowers started growing up and my neighbor was like, you should just pull those. Those are weeds. I was like, let's just wait and see, you know? So I pulled some out of one of the two beds and then the others I just left. And every time I passed it, I was like, this is like a metaphor for something, you know, I just have to land on what it is, you know, like, and then, um, finally one day I was just like, I think it's my writing life and my, my motherhood life. Like it's, it's kind of this tension of like, by allowing these sunflowers to grow that are not producing fruit or vegetables, are they putting uh, the vegetables like at risk? Like, is it is it working against this other job that I have? Um, and it's this tension that I have between being a mom and being a writer of always wondering too, like, is this, is this hurting my kids? Is it hurting my family for me to have this whole other pursuit that I, I kind of have to do? And so, um, but I let them grow and I thought, you know what? you know what, these sunflowers are actually shading these vegetables. And I think that they're allowing them to thrive in a way that that they, that these vegetables, these, these tomato plants wouldn't thrive otherwise. And so um, I don't know, but I felt like that was representative of a lot of my struggle uh, that I have as a mom and then also as a writer. Because um, my kids, when I wrote my book, they were one, three, and five. So um, all were at home because they're all like late birthdays, my son started half day kindergarten, like just as I was finishing my book. So, you know, it was not easy to write a book while you have young kids at home. And so I, I often wondered, like, is this, is it worth it? Is it, but I, I do feel like this is, this is something that I'm meant to do. And um, yeah. And then, then I had this message of this book that I felt was really important. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about that message, but side note, I love that metaphor. That's perfect. Okay. Perfect. Not too cheesy. No, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I actually really love it because yesterday at church, um, this our our message was about pruning, and uh, I think in terms of gardening and the the metaphor of life is so often this concept of prune and actually weed out and remove so that real growth can happen. I love 
your picture of sometimes actually we leave alone, even if it's, you know, a weed because it has other benefits. And in your case, it's, it's shading, it's protecting, it's nourishing in a different way. So I, I love that kind of both. And so anyways, metaphor aside, let's talk a little bit about the message of your book. And I've already shared the title with my listeners and I, I didn't say this, but lastly, this book made the cut in my month-long sabbatical suitcase, and <laughs> I was delighted and angry because it. I finished it so fast. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I saw it in your stack on social media. I was like, wow, I'm, I'm so honored. <laughs> and I did not finish it so fast because it was, you know, light and easy. It was just so good. So I just, your voice and the stories and the way you weave it all together, really oh, powerful. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about this and, and how it came out of your experience receiving so often as, like you say, as a stranger, you've been the recipient of so much hospitality and invitation into people's lives. And so now you're offering this um, to all of us. Just talk a little bit about that, about where this came from for you. So, um, yeah, I lived in China for five years, uh, and I actually spent um, six months before in while I was in college in Uganda, living with a Ugandan family. And I also studied culture. Um, my I got my master's in intercultural studies while I was in China, and so I I kind of started becoming more aware of culture and what like what culture looks like. Um, I remember learning about that in school before. And I'm like, what a vague and abstract term. Like, what does that even mean? Um, and so as I studied it, I started kind of noticing the different uh, ways people communicate and the different things that kind of grow up in certain cultures. I mean, even families can have culture. So, I mean, it, it's such a broad term. But um, in Chinese culture, and especially in the city where I lived, the way that hospitality was just such a such an organic part of their culture. And um, it was natural for people to invite and to not feel like they had to have like, you know, this elaborate, they would have elaborate meals, but it's not like the meals had to be beautiful. It's not like the place settings had to be a certain way. It's not like the house had to be clean. You know, I felt like people really, they did focus on food and they focused on people, but they wanted the food to be, you know, good enough so that people enjoyed it. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like it had to be the fanciest meal ever. And so I just started, um, kind of slowly kind of adapting, uh, to some of that culture of hospitality. Um, but then when we, when I moved back to the United States, um, and then we eventually moved out here to Colorado from Chicago, um, we, we just really struggled to find community and to kind of feel at home here. I think that's true anytime we move. And I think when you have kids, it makes it harder in some ways. Um, I think I thought that if you're a mom, you naturally just make friends with other moms. But there's so many different elements to that, um, you know. And so it, it, didn't, it didn't just happen naturally. And as we lived here for a while, um, I started – kind of just thinking more about hospitality and the role that hospitality plays in helping to cultivate community and also to 
alleviate our loneliness and how important that is. Um, and, and so I think I also started thinking about the West and how in meaning like the United States and parts of Europe and, but especially like even the West of the United States, um, like Colorado and how, you know, people came out here to be independent and how we value independence and, you know, individualism and privacy in our culture. And that, that, that's not all bad, but um, just kind of how that kind of bumps up against um, some of what we're called to do in the Bible, which is to have community and to um, be in each other's lives and to um, serve one another and to be served. And so, um, yeah, so the, the book kind of arose out of my discontent in coming back to the United States and um, just kind of looking around and wondering what our society would look like if people started inviting more often. Um, and, you know, I, the book goes into how that's not just um, having a dinner party or something. I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot broader than that. But even as, you know, what if we started having kind of a culture of hospitality instead of a culture of individualism and independence? Mm-hmm. I, I like how you talk about, you know, so much of it is having eyes to, to see and notice people, that that's, that's really what it's about is pursuing relationship through hospitality. And so I love the part um, where you're kind of learning about this in this quirky store here in town and some of the different um, things that this store owner slash artist is describing about the pieces in in the store and the art, the the crazy art, if we can even call it that, right? That he is, you guys are interacting over and he talks about um, availability. And I, I love how, I love how you then use that to, to just start thinking about how do I be kind of open to to what God has and who he might bring and how I might discover more of who they are as works of art. So can I just read that a little part of that chapter? I just, I loved it. Um, the store owner's name was Mr. Sunday and for Mr. Sunday being available, translated to art for the follower of Jesus, it could mean art, but also availability to the cessations of the spirit in our humdrum lives On lonely days when we may feel out of place, it helps to see our cities as places God picked for us, our neighbors as eternal, and our kitchen sinks as habitations for the Spirit of God. Which people does God want us to notice? What wonders is God inviting us to explore? Are we available? That is not, you know, your typical challenge to invite people over for a small group that is a completely reframing of the way that we're engaging those around us. I love that. Thanks. Tell me a little bit more about how you've experienced the benefit of doing that. Before we can do that, for me, a lot of it requires having the time and space in our schedules to do it. Um, I, you know, I think about just, to me, it feels like kind of not being um, involved in every single activity, but but kind of being willing to have some downtime in our lives, um, not just when we're at home, but when we're out and about to start noticing people. I mean, I I wrote this book a lot as a challenge to myself because, and so 
um, you know, I, I feel like I need to reread it too, just to be like, remind myself of these things. Um, you know, even as we're checking out at the grocery store, I try, I'm trying now to, instead of just look at all the magazines or look at my phone or, um, this is assuming my kids aren't with me because then they have, you know, 200% of my attention or they should, but, uh, or they're demanding it, let's say. Um, but I'm trying to like, notice the person behind the counter. I'm like, they have a name tag. What's their name? You know, what's, what's some, you know, features about them? What color is their hair? What tattoos do they have? Um, you know, what, how do they, you know, look, do they, are they having a good day or a bad day? And they'll usually, you know, ask me how I'm doing. And, um, but it's just noticing, you know, I, I, I could just go through my day kind of on autopilot sometimes without even noticing, um, my neighbors or, the people that I'm, you know, brushing shoulders with on the, if I'm picking up my kids at school. Um, and I think a lot of us do that. It's just, I feel like we're just kind of zombies wandering around and we talk to the people we know, but we don't notice the other people that we don't know. Um, and the word hospitality in the Bible in Greek means love of strangers. And I love that because, you know, I think we so often um, think about hospitality as inviting our friends and our family over, but the Bible is more about like, let's open our eyes to like the strangers around us and how we can love strangers and welcome strangers. And, um, you know, strangers are only strangers until we know them. Um, and then they're not strangers anymore. And hopefully they can become friends. But I think we have to be available um, because we just don't, I don't feel like our society encourages us to notice one another. And um, and so I think just kind of even going into our days thinking, okay, I'm just going to open my eyes today and see who's in my path and try to make a connection with another human being, you know, maybe that that doesn't come naturally to me. And it it is uncomfortable. So I think that's why, I mean, that's why I don't do it always because I'm like, I don't want to make awkward small talk, you know, like I want to have a good conversation. I don't want to just like talk about the weather. But sometimes you have to talk about the weather before you can talk about your soul, you know? So mm-hmm. it made me wonder if I in that bad with people in the checkout line, which, and my kids have said, mom, he was trying so hard to ask you questions and you gave the dumbest, shortest answers. And I can, I can be really awful because I don't want to have those chit chatty, you know, I just want to get out of there. I've got two more things on the list, you know, to hit in the next 30 minutes. But if I'm that bad with, those strangers that I have liminal interaction with, will that translate into how I actually am with the people in the house next door or, you know, the people who um, I see every week at church and still don't know their name. And it's been four years. Like how much of those little daily habits do trickle down and change us either for good or for bad into all of the bigger more the more significant ones that we do care more deeply about but if we're not forming those habits on a micro level how will they shape the macro level I, I do wonder about that your book caused me to really evaluate kind of some of my day-to-day the simpler things in a different way yeah yeah, and some of that for me came from living in China because, I, well, when I lived there, I was single, and I, I, I didn't only had to teach a certain number of hours a week, and it was the same class. Like I taught, so I had to prepare one lesson, 
and then I taught it all week. So it was, I didn't have a ton of preparation and I was learning Chinese. And so I, it was to my benefit actually to have lots of time to wander around and just chat with people and have those basic conversations. Um, but because I had time, like I would literally sometimes just go to the market and pretend like I was buying things and then end up talking to someone for two hours, you know, um, no, most of us don't do that. I mean, that's not, <laughs> that's not like normal in our society. And most people don't have time for that either. Right. Um, but I, I'm, what I've brought back with me, and especially now that I have children and I am with them, children force you to slow down when they're little, at least like they walk slowly, they look at bugs, they touch flowers, and they talk to random strangers. And I mean, in some ways, having small children helps you to it forces you to slow down and to um, notice things that you wouldn't notice otherwise. Um, but I think living in China taught me the value of some of that of like, uh, of going slowly and just lingering with people and um like in our in our neighborhood especially we have a lot of retired people that have more time you know I mean they're busy doing a lot of different things but I see them I see them outside or I see you know I, I see them more frequently but do I have time to stop and talk to them and so I think just kind of programming in some downtime to just kind of be so that you're not like like, like, I at least want to talk to people when I'm the most busy because I'm like, oh, I saw, I see you and I know her, but I got to do this other thing, you know? Uh, like, we don't have time for people when we're we're just running from one activity to another. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, you know, a, the beginning of hospitality is actually having a little bit of time for people built into your schedule. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. so true. Just kind of a little bit of white space so that... Yeah you can be available for when you're seeing God is doing something. He's yep. pre- presenting an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I once realized, so married to a therapist who is immersed in trauma day in and day out and already an introvert to boot. He mm-hmm. was unable to, he just doesn't have that space for, for a lot of other people once he yep. returns home. And we also had lived overseas and we had this, you know, stack of 20 plates from when we used to host and have tons of people in our home when that was our job. And those were the people that Mm -hmm. we served. And so I was looking at those stacks one day and just the dust accumulating and thinking about how different our lives look now and realized that my hospitality Mm -hmm. is to those clients and it is to my husband in some ways. It's I called it stealth hospitality because it's it's not visible. I don't get to put food on those plates all the time and serve all those people. But it's a gift um, to create. Here's my point: to create the space, the white space in our home at night for my husband to then be able to offer the restoration and redemption he is able to do during the day because of that white space. I've created at night and it was just a kind of a bizarre way to look at it, but it released me and it, I felt like God was saying hospitality comes in a lot of different shapes and forms. It's, but it's your heart. It's the attitude, the way that you approach and see people. And I love that that's what your book was about as well um, is not the actual practicals, although there were lots of great ideas from your own life, but it was, where is your heart um, the posture that you're going to take towards people 
that God calls us to see and, and love. And that's really the invitation. Um, so lastly, it's just, it's beautiful and I'm excited for it to be released into the world and to point people toward it. And, um, can't wait to see what comes next from you. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun. I often conclude podcast interviews feeling so nourished by my guests' wisdom and lived experience. I am so thankful they choose to live a bit of life out loud for the rest of us to draw inspiration from. I'd like to conclude by reading some of Leslie's words. She writes, The entire Bible is an invitation to more relationship, more connection, more intimacy. I once thought special callings were reserved for the Christian elite, those who loved God most. But I have since discovered that more than being called to missions, full-time ministry, parenthood, teaching, surgery, counseling, accounting, writing, or any other job or vocation, our first calling is to intimacy with Jesus Christ. Jesus announces, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. We are invited to hear him, invite him in, be with him, and eat with him. And out of the well of that love affair, we pour out love for one another. Friends, go grab a copy of Leslie Verner's Invited. And I challenge you this week to find your own fierce and lovely among those you might notice. This is Beth Bruno, and you've been listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast.